Welcome to r slash, a podcast where I read the best posts from across Reddit. Today's subreddit is r slash malicious compliance, where your wish is my command. Our next Reddit post is from True Crime Fanatic. I'm a social worker with a moderate-sized nonprofit in my city. We serve individuals with a variety of disabilities, including on-site and in the community. About a year and a half ago, our executive director retired after about 15 years. They were an awesome person, but due to age and some health problems, had kind of checked out of running the organization. The new director came from a much larger for-profit organization and seemed to think that money is king, and that the only way to be respected is to be feared. She was a monster in every sense of the word. Now, being a nonprofit, our pay isn't fantastic and the benefits aren't stellar, but the one thing that they were good at was the vacation rollover. We were allowed to keep 200 hours of rollover. The new director decides that our entire vacation policy is too generous, so she cut our accrual rate by two weeks a year, and she told us that we could only keep 80 hours of rollover. Again, I get it. COVID hit us hard. Everyone has to be expected to make some cuts somewhere. But see, the problem here is that she told everyone this the first week of October, and we had to be down to 80 hours on January 1st. Anything over 80 hours just goes away. We tried negotiating, we tried offering alternatives, we asked for exemptions for a few months. She would absolutely not hear it, and finally said that the next person who asked about our paid time off policy would be walked out of the building. So, my coworkers and I came up with a plan. Enter the malicious compliance. I'll admit, this only worked because the rest of our administration team felt the director was horrible. And also, they lost their paid time off too. So, we all put in for vacation at the same time. Even those who really didn't need to because they were closer to 80 hours anyways. We literally had 85% of our staff take time off for weeks at a time. We worked it out amongst ourselves that we had just enough staff to ensure work was being done to keep us compliant with the state. But anything above and beyond that was ground to a halt. I also need to clarify that we are not an emergency service, so the clients we serve didn't lose our essential support. Well, our board meeting comes around in December, and the new director has to try to explain why there was such a drastic drop in revenue over the last month and a half. Apparently, she didn't give a good enough answer because the board started talking to the employees and the senior management for the first time since the new director came on. Let me tell you, we did not hold back. After hearing the horror stories of some of the other things she was doing, the board promptly decided that having her in charge was not going to lead us in a direction that would lead us to long-term success and stability in our organization. So they kicked her butt to the curb. I'm happy to say they found a new director who's already gone above and beyond what they could have hoped for. And our staff, and most importantly our clients, are hopefully on the path to many years of success. Well, your old boss has plenty of vacation time now. Our next Reddit post is from Scouter of Roy. In my late high school and early college years, I had a job doing telemarketing work during winter and summer breaks. While it was boiler room cold calling, we primarily were soliciting donations for agencies that had contracted us to do the work, so it felt less scuzzy. Think police departments, fire departments, etc. We kept a portion of donations for operating expenses, and everything over a certain threshold went directly to the receiving party. Everybody wins. I enjoyed the job because the scripts were simple, and I was allowed to read a book and such between calls. Also, a couple of my friends were employed there, so we could hang out during lunch breaks. The pay was a decent chunk above minimum wage at the time, so it was a good gig. 
I also had a knack for it. And at one point, I was number five in sales across all the sites they had in operation, and I was second in our building. One summer while driving to work, my car promptly died with no warning, and I was left stranded on the road. As you do in situations back before cell phones for poor college students were a thing, I walked to the nearest house and asked to use their phone. I called my dad, who started driving to get me, and I called work to let them know I'd be late. My boss says fine, and that'll chat with me when I get in. My dad shows up with my mom in two cars. I take the extra car, and he begins the arduous process of towing my car back to the house. I arrive at work, clock in almost an hour after the start of my shift, and I'm promptly told by the front receptionist that my boss would like to see me in his office. So I head on back. My boss and I have always had a good rapport. I'm a good worker, I get good reviews, and he and I have similar interests outside of work that we can chat about occasionally. When I arrive in his office, he's shuffling some papers around and has laid out a few documents facing me. As close as I can recall, this is the conversation that followed. I hope everything worked out with the car. I'm glad to have you here. There's a couple of things that I need to discuss with you. First of all, as I'm sure that you're aware, being more than 30 minutes late to work is considered a Class C violation. This is your first violation, so I'd like to talk to you about what happens next. To be clear, there are three classes of violations ranging from C to A, with C being the least egregious. No official write-up or anything occurs after the first violation, or even the first few Class C violations. But it's the manager's discretion on the punishment, depending on past behaviors. Now, you're a good employee, and I put into corporate a few times to give you a raise. But because you only work during your school breaks, it's denied because you aren't considered full-time. So, the papers I have here are your termination papers, as well as an offer letter that I'd like to extend to you to hire you back on again. So, in short, before I file these, I'd like to ask, is it okay if I fire you? So we go through the process of him firing me, which then allowed him to extend an offer to me to rehire me at roughly a 25% increase in pay. Since he could now justify the bump to corporate because he was hiring someone with experience. In talking with him, he let me know that this was something that he occasionally did with high school and college workers to get around corporate's policy of not handing out raises to people who didn't work a thousand hours a year. It was his own way of being maliciously compliant with a policy that didn't allow him to reward some people that he thought deserved it. Apparently, he had been waiting for me to do something that he could technically fire me for. The way their back-end systems worked, it wouldn't even show up as a break-in service since the firing and hiring happened on the same day. The laugh that he and the receptionist had when he walked me back to the front to introduce me as their new employee was awesome, and I've had a fun story to tell ever since. Awesome story, OP, and you have an awesome boss. I wish more bosses were like this. Our next Reddit post is from Ancient Educator. I teach in Arizona, home to one of the most underrated education systems in America. It's the end of the marking period, and my school uses a standard A through F grading system. I teach an algebra class for 8th graders who are either smart enough or their parents think they're smart enough. I had a parent of one young student actually come up to me in person while I was on after-school duty to discuss an issue that he had with grading. However, due to FERPA guidelines, I told him that I can't discuss grades in a public setting. I didn't even get to the word setting before he interrupted me and said, B.S. We're at school and this is my kid. I'm the one giving permission here, so let me ask you. I'm thinking to myself, oh, great, I guess we're doing this while I'm directing traffic. I then realize that this has become a safety issue, so I say, sir, I need to direct traffic. But he just continues talking utter nonsense while I'm looking down the road for more cars to wave down for pickup. 
he's just going and going. And I catch a word or two like you said, and he already turned that in. And finally, he says to me, and there is no way that you can fail my child and put the comment pleasure to have in class. You need to change this right now. Enter malicious compliance. I said, you make a good point. I don't know what I was thinking. I'll change it the second that I'm done here. This Karen of a dad walked off back to his parked car with his child visible and looking at me from the passenger side. And I swear he actually said, that's what I thought. As the dad finishes his little strut to the car, I give the kid a thumbs up. And the kid slowly gives me a sheepish thumbs up back. Hilariously, the kid seems to somehow know what the dad doesn't. The second I get to a secure location, I go into the grade books and change a comment from pleasure to have in class to respectful to teachers and staff, which is more than I can say for this kid's dad. Needless to say, the kid still got an F. A deserved F. Our next Reddit post is from Luther Williams. I used to be a sales manager for a business-to-business services company. Basically, we provided a service to other businesses. Unlike a lot of companies, we wouldn't auto-renew a client's service unless they signed a new contract. The contracts were generally for one to three years. All of our contracts were signed on an iPad that recorded the GPS coordinates of where the document was signed, and we emailed the client a copy of the agreement instantly, and in the email we basically said, If you agree with this contract or would like to make changes, contact us within five business days. If you don't, we'll move forward and bill accordingly. In addition, one of the cancellation terms in the contract was dishonesty. If the client could prove that we were dishonest, they had a right to cancel without penalty. If the client acted dishonestly, we had the right to cancel their contract with us. There was this one client that was actually quite a small account, but they always proved to cause a lot of headaches for my reps. I remember calling the rep and going over the common issues that I've seen with this client. And I stressed the importance of getting the signature on the iPad in his office. I also emphasized that if the client wanted to cancel, to just let him cancel because he's been proven to be very difficult to work with. So our sales guy went to go make the call and he got the contract signed. Four months later, I get an email saying the client is claiming that my sales guy forged the client's signature. I did my due diligence before calling the client. I checked where the newest contract was signed. It was signed in the client's place of business via the iPad. I compared the signature on the newest contract with their previous contracts and their signature looked very close. I also looked at the email that went to the client right after the contract was signed. The client opened the link to see his contract 65 minutes after the contract was signed and did nothing. Also, the link was open for several minutes. I looked up the client's current billing status and he was 45 days behind. He knew that we didn't start charging late fees until 60 days behind and at 120 days we would begin litigation and collection account status. I called up the client and this is how the call went. Hello, this is OP from my company, and I was told that you're accusing my sales rep of forging your signature on the renewal contract. Yes, I never agreed to pay that much. I never would have. I told him to give me a discount, and I wanted to see it in writing before I signed. And did he give you a discount and show it to you in writing? No, he said that he had to go talk to his boss, and I never heard back from him. Okay, and then what happens? Well, you guys kept up the service, and I noticed that you guys were charging me more, not less. So I looked back in my emails, and I saw the sales rep forge my signature, and that's illegal. Yes, you're right. If my sales rep did forge your signature, that's illegal. Well, good to see that we can agree on that. 
But still, regardless of whether or not the signature was forged, you would have gotten an email with a link to the contract asking you to verify that everything was correct. And if not, to let us know within five business days. Did you get that email? If you did get the email, didn't you review the contract? Well, yeah, but I was pretty busy and I didn't open the email until recently. I totally get it. We're all so busy nowadays. So, assuming that he did forge a signature, what would you consider an acceptable resolution to this? Would you like to end the service with no penalty? Would you like a discount? I would want a discount. And what would you consider an acceptable discount? Three months of free service. Got it. Well, Mr. Client, I've got several problems with your claim that my sales rep forged your signature. So, before I fire this salesperson for forgery and offer you a discount, I'd like to see if we can address those problems. Sounds fair. The signature was captured on our iPads, which records the GPS coordinates of where the signature happened. According to our GPS coordinates, it happened inside your place of business. Well, your sales rep knows that, right? Yes, he did. That just means he forged it inside my building. Okay, well, the next issue is that the signature on this contract looks exactly like the signature on the previous contracts. He just copied my signature. I know that I didn't sign that. Could it be possible that someone else in your company signed it? No, everyone here knows that I'm the only one that gets to sign those contracts. I understand. The next issue I have with your claim is that the link to the contract was emailed to you and opened 65 minutes after the contract was signed. No, it wasn't. Yes, sir, it was. The reason why we have you click the link to view a signed contract is so we know if you open the link or not. Not only that, it appears that the link was open for several minutes which to me would indicate that the person who opened the link reviewed the contract. Also, the fact that no one ever responded to the email would indicate to me that the person who reviewed the contract was fine with it. Are you accusing me of lying? Yes, and because of that, I'll be canceling your service with us effective immediately. How would you like to pay your current balance? You're canceling my service and you want me to pay? Yeah, I want you to pay for the services that we've provided. I am not gonna pay. If you're not going to pay for the services we provided, then I'm going to refer you to our collections department. And they'll add late fees if you don't pay them. They'll also refer you to our law firm for litigation. We have a contract. You can't just cancel my service. Actually, I can, since I have a good reason to believe that you're lying about the accusation that my salesperson forged your signature. Everything I have says that you signed it. Our contract states that we can cancel your contract for being dishonest, and that's what we're going to do. F you! And the client hung up. I referred the client to collections, and he eventually paid them without us having to sue him. Our next Reddit post is from Joel the Connor. My wonderful family of four are on a trip to visit family and friends. Four years ago, on a trip with the same itinerary as this one, I booked our hotel like I usually do. I'm what you would describe as thrifty, and I don't like spending a ton of money on hotels when we're basically just sleeping there. The hotel that I booked for this leg of the journey probably wasn't the most high-class hotel, and sure, it wasn't in the safest part of town. This was definitely a hotel where some acts of questionable legality and morality would occur. In my defense, it was a very last-minute booking because we were supposed to be staying with family and there were very few options available under 150 bucks a night. The stay there ended up going fine, but it's been a long-running joke between my wife and I for the past four years. So we're once again visiting those same friends and family for the first time in four years. I went to book the hotel and my wife said, No way, it's my hometown, so I'm doing it this time. 
So she pulls up ye old price line and starts looking at places, specifically looking for a place that has a pool for the kids. She looks at one, reads the reviews and details, and says that it looks good, especially for the lower price. She even calls to make sure the pool is open because of COVID. I look at the photos, and I look back at my wife thinking that she was trying to make a joke. She was not. I just smiled and said, whatever you think, babe. Yep, you know what's coming. As we approach the hotel, I see a look of confusion slowly wash over her face. She says, wait, is this? And trails off. I reply with a resounding, yep, it sure is. She booked us in the exact same hotel that she's been griefing me about for four years. I laughed and laughed and laughed. She can't believe that she did this, and she also thinks that it's hilarious. I am vindicated. As a married guy, I can confirm, she is never going to live this one down. That was our slash malicious compliance, and if you enjoyed this episode, you can directly support me and my content by subscribing to my podcast. Subscribing to my podcast is $4.99 a month, and you'll unlock access to bonus episodes. 